The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, Love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The mercy of God is a scandal to the world. We talked about that last week, how as hard as God may seem at times, asking us to do things that are difficult, things that our flesh chafes against, the hardest thing is this, that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Ask anyone what the ungrateful and the evil deserve, and they will tell you. Whatever it is they have coming to them, I can't wait to see it until they get what is coming to them. Not so our Heavenly Father, who is characterized by this, that when he meets those who are ungrateful and evil, he shows them kindness. The world delights in measuring by its own standards by deciding for itself what is good and right and true, and then, not stopping there, but measuring everyone else by those same standards. That's a pretty fun game to play, isn't it? When you get to make the rules, and then you get to decide who has broken the rules, that's a pretty fun game for the one who is making those rules. That's how the world operates. Delighting in finding fault, which is easy, so easy. And then, most of all, relishing it when people finally get what they deserve. That's how our world works. And that is the opposite of mercy, it is the opposite of love, and it is complete failure to understand and follow the law of God. God's law is not about whipping you into shape and getting you to do certain things, to check certain boxes, but God's law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. The world can't stand it, and so people on all sides of any question judge those who are opposite them. The rich judge the poor, if only they worked harder. 
their life could be as good as mine. Those who have it together judge those who don't. If only they'd make better decisions, then their life would be better organized and they could look like me. They could be happy like me. Political parties judge one another. Take your pick. The rhetoric is the same. They're wicked and evil because they believe those things, because they want those policies, because they follow that politician. Judging by the world's standards, you can condemn anybody to hell. Easily. Just take your pick. But God's glory is not in this, not in condemning people to hell, but in giving his life as a ransom for many. God's glory is to show mercy. But pay attention to how that works. This is how mercy works. God does not just throw standards out the window. God doesn't just throw his law out the window. But he measures by a perfect standard. His own righteousness. His own holiness. His own goodness. A standard against which we all fall immediately short. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And even our righteous deeds, Isaiah says, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So there... There is the perfect measure that God holds everyone to. But here's where the mercy comes in. Establishing and seeing a perfect measure for goodness, a perfect standard, God then continues by finding fault. Not glossing it over, not pretending like it's not there, not ignoring it, not making excuses for it, but calling what it is. Sin and wicked and evil. Why does he do that, though? Not like the world, so that you and I would get what we deserve. But God finds fault, and he holds us to a perfect standard. Why? So that he can forgive. So that he can keep you and me from getting what we deserve. That's the whole goal. It's the difference between pointing your finger at somebody and saying, Did you do this? Looking to find someone to blame. We love to have someone to blame. That's not how God points the finger. He points the finger and asks, did you do this? Because if you did, I want to forgive you. I don't want you to die for your sin. I don't want you to suffer for what you've done. I want to give you life. He is kind to the ungrateful, those who have no idea what they're receiving from him. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, even those, even those who hate him. And here's what his kindness looks like. Here's what mercy looks like. It looks like dying for someone else. Mercy that is anything less than being willing to die, to spare someone else what they deserve, it is not mercy. But perfect love has been shown to us in this, that Christ laid down his life for us, was willing to lose everything so that you would not get what you deserve. He looked at your sin and he said, I'd rather have that than to lose you. I'd rather take your guilt than to lose you. I'd rather have the judgment and punishment and wrath of God than to lose you. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus offers you an invitation today, and it's a beautiful invitation. Maybe you've admired somebody in your life, somebody who's really good. I was thinking about sports figures when I was a kid. I always thought, you couldn't tell by my frame, I was never going to play in the NFL. But I thought I might one day play in the NFL, and I had favorite players, you're going to hate me for this, on the Green Bay Packers, who I admired, Darren Sharper, a free safety. And he could pick off any quarterback, as far as I could tell. He was fast. And he could read the quarterback's eyes. 
and he would run that ball all the way to the other end zone, 99 yards, securing a victory for his team. I wanted to be like that. Of course, it was never going to happen. What if, what if one day Darren Sharper had come up to me and said, I want to teach you how to play like me. And this is not just some sort of workshop for kids where there's going to be a bunch of kids gathered around for a half an hour on a Saturday morning and some celebrity shows up. He says, no, I'm going to tutor you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to train you and I'm going to show you how to be just like me. I probably would have fainted. You couldn't believe it, could you, if that is the kind of offer that was on the table from somebody you admired, somebody who was good, somebody who you wanted to be like. But here it is before you today. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. For the Christian, there is no better virtue, no higher quality than mercy, because you know what it means for you. It means life and not death. And so when God says to you today, I'm going to teach you to be merciful, just like me. I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to guide you in loving the way that I love. Rejoice. Rejoice at these words of Jesus. It is a gracious invitation. He loves you and he wants to give you all good things. He wants to make you sons of the Most High God. Not servants, not strangers, not acquaintances, but sons of the Most High God. So here's how it begins. Judge not. Now you might say in your heart, and many do, I would never judge anyone. And if you said that, you're wrong. Here are the ways that that might show up in your life judgment of others. If you've ever thought to yourself, well, that guy's a lot worse than I am, you have judged him. If you've ever said, well, he should talk, you have judged him. If you've ever put anything but the best construction on something that someone has done, most of all when it's against you, you have judged them. If you have tried to find fault, if you have looked for someone to blame, if you have ever said to someone, who are you to judge, who are you to talk, then you have judged them. The key here, that when Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, the key here is this. This is not something that you get to say to other people to get them to shut up about you. These words are directed at you. You judge not. If you have ever weaponized these words, as our world does, if you've ever taken them into your, put them in your arsenal so that when somebody says something uncomfortable, you can just throw this back at them. Judge not, lest you be judged. And you've missed the whole point. This is not something that you get to say as a defense. This is something that you should take to heart. Who are you? Be like Joseph, who when his brothers thought that he was going to pay them back for what they had done to him, forgave them instead and said, Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Can I see what's in your hearts? Can I know what was behind what you did? There's plenty to judge on the outside, and this is an important thing to observe. God gives certain people the authority to judge, but not according to their personality, not because they are particularly good at judging, not because they are of a higher character than everyone else, but according to their office. For instance, Parents are to judge their children. Don't eat another cookie. You're going to spoil your dinner. Listen to your mother. You shouldn't disobey what she's saying. Those kinds of judgments are godly and God-pleasing. It's not taking the place of God, but is in fact using the position that God has given to us 
in order to carry out his will. Police do the same things. You're going over the speed limit. That's a judgment, and it is a good one. You should slow down. Pastors make judgments of their hearers. This is what it says in the book to the Hebrews. You should obey your pastors as those who have to give an account. That is, I'm in a position of authority given to me by God where I have to answer for everyone who comes to this altar. And so I must make judgments. I must make judgments using God's word. Likewise, hearers, you all sitting in the pews, have to make judgments. If you ever hear me saying something contrary to God's word, you must judge it. You must say, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what my Savior says. That's not who God is. You must make judgments. That's your office. Friends and family and neighbors are called to judge in this way. The way that the Samaritan judged that poor man lying on the side of the road as being injured and in need of help. You are not to walk by on the other side and say, who am I to judge? But you are to help and to serve those in need. There is a place for judgment, but here's the key. When we hear these words, we tend to apply them to other people. And we think to ourselves, I wish everybody would quit judging me. But it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you, not putting people into categories based on your own standards, the way the world does. That's how we get in such a mess like our world is in right now. When people pick and choose whatever standards they want and then put people into categories based on those standards, looking for fault, assigning blame, and then relishing it when people get their just desserts, ready to condemn. That's not you. Instead, ready to forgive is who you are. Ready to be merciful. Eager to put the best construction on everything. Eager to take the blame on yourself. Eager to take responsibility. Willing even to die, lest someone else get what they deserve. And so condemn not, Jesus says. Don't throw in the towel on anyone. Don't give up on anyone. Don't think they're beyond help. Don't think that it's time to stop and just hand them over to hell. Do not say to anyone, go to hell or go to the devil. You are not God. That is not for you to utter. Do not say, God damn you, to anyone. That does not belong to you. Those are not your words. By doing that, you would be writing people off. You'd be buying tickets to front row seats just to watch them go to hell. And that is not for you to do. Instead, you are to be merciful. You are to see with charitable eyes, not imagining that your standard is God's standard, but looking at people through God's eyes, seeing in every other person around you someone for whom Jesus was willing to die. If that's how Jesus thinks about them, so also should you. Do not imagine that you are in the place of God. And this is not the same thing as just ignoring sin. That's what most people do, and that's a kind of condemnation all on its own. If you overlook someone's sin, which is leading them straight to hell, and you don't say anything about it, and you don't help them out of it, you are condemning them. So this is not about ignoring sin, but it is about viewing it rightly as something from which people can be rescued by God's grace. So condemn not. Where faults are real, where there is sin, look for mercy. Deliver mercy. Give the gifts that God has given to you. Use the measure that has been used with you. That's a stern warning Jesus gives. The measure that you use will be the measure that is used against you. So be careful. 
Do not hold people to a standard that you yourself are unwilling to live up to. Do not heap up burdens that you yourself are unwilling to carry. But instead, use God's measure. Use the measure of God's love. Try to plumb the depths of his love if you can. See if there's a limit, an end, to how much mercy he is willing to dispense, and let that be the measure you use with other people. I tell you, if your brother sins against you 70 times, 7 times, forgive him. Forgive him. Explain it as though it were an accident. Treat it as if it were a mistake. Assume the best. Be merciful as your Father is merciful, and forgive. Forgiveness is something that is often misunderstood, and I want to be really clear about the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is taking someone else's sin on yourself. It is suffering the punishment for sin yourself. It is not. It is the opposite of taking someone else's sin and throwing it back in their face. It is saying, I would rather suffer the consequences of your sin than see you suffer for it, to the point of death. To the point of death. You see this in Jesus on the cross. Nothing could hold him back. Nothing could hold him back from dying for all of you. And so when someone sins against you, think about Christ, what he did for that sinner. When you deliver mercy to others, you are being like Jesus. When you call to repentance and rejoice that Jesus has died for every last sin, the greatest and the least, when you announce that good news to everyone around you, you are offering forgiveness. Jesus demonstrates this. When the Pharisees brought to him that woman caught in adultery. And those Pharisees were scoundrels. They intended to use this situation to trap Jesus. They wanted to see if he would throw away the law of Moses, which says that such an adulteress must be condemned. What does Jesus do? He does not throw away the law of Moses. He doesn't say about that adulteress, you're wrong, she didn't sin. Instead, he stands in the way. He stands between the accusers and that poor woman. He's willing to take whatever stones they might throw, and he stops them by suggesting that whoever is without sin should throw that first stone. They all leave one by one, and he has saved her by standing in between her and the accusations of God's law. But then what does he say to her? He doesn't say, you're fine, go ahead, go back to whatever it was you were doing before. He says, go and sin no more. That is mercy. That is forgiveness. Being freed from the yoke and the burden of sin. Being freed from the condemnation of the law. Being set free to do good instead of evil. To love instead of hate. To be like our Heavenly Father. God instructs us to give. And he says, the model is this. The giving that I do. Abundantly. Pressed down. Shaken together. A full measure. Overflowing. It's like you pack it down, you take that box of Legos, and you shake it together so they all fit to get tightly together, and then you pour Legos, I don't know why that's on my mind, Legos, you, you fill it over to the top so it's overflowing, and it's not just overflowing, but then you pour a whole other bucket on top of it. That's the kind of giving that God does. It's the kind of giving that he has enabled you to do. You could not do it on your own. You would run out. But you've been given to by God. His own life for yours. Let nothing hold you back. 
from being merciful as your Father is merciful. Let nothing hold you back from forgiving. Let nothing hold you back from giving to all those who need. The goal here is for love, and it is an invitation. It's an invitation from your Heavenly Father who wants you to be like Him, not because He is a tyrant, but because it is good, because there is no better way for you to be. There is no better way for you to be than to be sons of the Most High God. In your prayers, remember this passage. Remember this lesson. Pray that God would help you, not to judge, not to condemn, but to forgive and to give. Pray that the measure he uses with you, you would use with others as well, the measure of Christ's love on the cross. Pray that all those you come into contact with, everyone, who needs to hear the precious promises of Christ's love for you, pray that they would all see in your life the mercy of God. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.